To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. Because history has shown us that courage can be contagious, and hope can take on a life of its own. I will bring you hope. And I ask only one thing in return. We move now, together. Not at all. Hope is not lost today. It is found. Hope is what keeps you going. Even if the whole world is telling you to move, it is your duty to plant yourself like a tree, look them in the eye and say no. You move. Welcome to the Skiffy and Fanti Show. I'm Jen, and today on Signal Boost, we are pleased to have with us Rati Marotra, who is the author of her debut novel, Mark's Woman. Welcome to the show, Rati. Thank you. So, always I begin with, tell me about yourself and your work. I was born and brought up in India, but I have lived and worked in many different countries. I actually trained as an economist, but my passion has always been for reading and writing fiction. I started writing Mark's Woman eight years ago, just after I moved to Canada. So this book, it's set in an alternative post-apocalyptic version of Asia, 850 years after a great war has destroyed a very advanced civilization. The only thing that remains of that civilization are transport hubs and the lore of the ones aliens that came to Earth and left long before the war. Against this backdrop is the story of Kaira and Rustan, elite warriors tasked with upholding the peace and enforcing justice. So I read that one of the main inspirations for you in writing this was the goddess Kali. Uh, So I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about that inspiration specifically, and then how your own upbringing played into the basis and the world building of Mark's Woman? Yeah, I grew up immersed in mythology. Um, Every year during festivals, my grandmother would tell us uh, stories from the Hindu epics Mahabharata and Ramayana, and they fascinated me, especially stories of the goddess Kali. She's the epitome of feminine power. Her name literally means black. So she's the one who comes before light and before time itself. So I got to thinking, what if there was a group of women devoted to her worship? Women who wielded the power of life and death over others. And thinking of this, I had my word. And the main character that you're focusing on, who is an apprentice of this order of Kali, is Kyra. So Who is she and what kind of personal journey is she taking in the course of the book? Kyra is the youngest markswoman in the Order of Kali, an orphan with a tragic past and a burning need for revenge. Um, She's lost everyone she loves, like when she was just five years old. And she's not perfect by any means. She has a temper. She makes mistakes. Um, But she is loyal and tough. She loves her teacher and she loves her friends. And these are qualities I admire. Kyra's journey in the book 
is one of both emotional growth and discovery. She will fall in love. She'll learn a devastating secret and someone will betray her. But none of these things will break her. Ooh, now I'm very curious about Rustin. Because <laughs> 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 he's your, your foil to Kyra in some senses. Because one of the strings that, that really did strike me as very interesting about this is that you've created this kind of binary opposition between the Order of Kali, which is women, and the Order of Kerr, which is men. But specifically, too, one uses swords, one uses guns, and, and there's there's things that go into not just being men versus women. But can you tell us a little bit more about that opposition and why go with that kind of setup? Sure. Um, there are five orders in Ashiana. All five of them use um, daggers. None of them use guns. Um, those are um, evil sentient weapons which are left over from the war of 850 years ago. So there is, I definitely wanted to write strong female protagonists, but I, I wanted to show that balance is possible even desirable. So there is only one male order, and they are a necessary counterpoint to the four female orders. They may appear to be very different, but they have the same overarching goals. Until they all realize this and work together, they will not achieve those goals. Oh, now that's fascinating. So there's three other orders that I don't know about because I haven't read the book yet. Um, yes, uh, and... Uh, uh, one uh, one of the other orders is is going to be um, described in book two. Excellent, that's good to know. Are each one of them based on a mythological a goddess or a god? Not necessarily. They all have their own different beliefs and uh, different mythologies. Uh, the goddess Kali is worshipped only by the order of Kali. Right. Who is the order of Kur? Who is Kur? Kur is just, it's a word that means it's a mythological horse. So it's not, uh, uh, ha doesn't have any religious significance. But, uh, I, this, the symbol of the order is also a horse with wings. And, um, it just kind of appealed to me. It's one of the Central Asian folk tales. And I, I drew upon that to create this, um, particular order. Oh, that's fantastic. That sounds really interesting. So. It was a question that I thought of just based on the premise. And then one of my co-hosts was like, after reading the book, was like, this was a really interesting decision. As you mentioned, this is a post-apocalyptic, far future novel. So why choose that as the setting versus, say, a more standard secondary world fantasy that drew from Hindu mythology, for instance? From my point of view, it's both. Ashiana is an alternate Asia, and it's also a post-apocalyptic Asia. And the world as I have built it, it reflects my multiple loves and influences, mythology, science fiction, secondary world fantasy, as well as post-apocalyptic literature. I love uh, reading genre mashups, and that's basically what I've written. That sounds really interesting. I'm particularly fascinated by the fact that you have the alien visit so how much does that play into the events of the story? Or is that more of just a world-building aspect? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. I'll talk more about that in book two, for sure. <laughs> and maybe, I don't know, even subsequent books if I ever write them. Awesome. So spoiler alert. I'm going to go with that. 
So, um, as I kind of mentioned earlier, uh, and you talked about, is that guns are a great uh, source of evil in the novel. So, how do you kind of balance pushing back at gun culture uh, over the course of the text while also avoiding kind of romanticizing swords and sword culture? You know, I didn't originally intend to either push back at gun gun culture or romanticize swords. Um, in form and shape, the Qataris are inspired by the Jamdhar Qatari of the Hindu Kush region. And the Kalashiks are inspired by Kalashnikov, which are the most common assault rifle in Asia. I was not thinking of the United States gun culture at all while I was writing this book many years ago. That said, if guns are a source of evil is something anyone takes away from my book, I am happy because it's what I believe too. Right. It's almost uh, disturbingly timely. So what would you say kind of drives your writing in general? You've given us some of your influences and some of your loves and in, in speculative fiction, but not just in terms of the Asiana. It's a duology, correct? Yes. Awesome. But also in your short stories, you know, what really is what inspires you to write and, and what do you draw on in order to, to feed your stories? I read and write science fiction and fantasy to escape. Uh, my favorite part of any project is the world building. There's a great sense of freedom in being able to create an imaginary world where I get to lay down the rules, the history, and determine the fates of all the characters. It gives me great joy. I'm curious then, if it is escape, how much does your economist background end <laughs> up into your work? Um, you know, higher economics is all a fantasy anyway. <laughs> based on assumptions. So, yeah, but um, it's been called the dismal science and it's been called that for a reason. Um, I spent many years studying and studying economics at the PhD level and working as an economist. I still do some work um, as an economist, but it's not where my passion lies. It has earned me a living and that is fantastic because if I depended only on my creative writing for an income, I wouldn't be eating very much. Sad truth, right? Mm. <laughs> That's really interesting. I mean, only because economy to me is one of the more fascinating aspects of a lot of science fiction novels. The dismal science. I hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't thought of it. <laughs> well, you're right in a sense. The, the, the more basic aspects of uh, an economic existence, like the money, how do people grow food? How do they trade? All those are fascinating aspects of world building, for sure. Absolutely. So why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you and your work? And if you have any final thoughts to tell us about Mark's Woman to get us to go out and buy it right away, which everybody should do anyway, but yeah. <laughs> well, I blog at ratirights.com. That's R-A-T-I-W-R-I-T-E-S dot com. And I have links on my website to all my short fiction. You can also find me on Twitter at Rati underscore Mehrotra. And um, for sure, I think you should try reading my book. And if you don't want to buy it, just ask your library to order it for you. 
That is always a fantastic recommendation. Well, thank you so much, Rati, for coming on the show today. I really appreciate you talking about Mark's Woman. Thank you, Jen, for having me. Of course. So everybody, if you don't buy Mark's Woman, do as Rati recommends and ask for it at your local library. And thanks for joining us today on Signal Booth. Welcome to the Skiffy and Fanty Show. I'm Elizabeth, and today on Signal Boost we have Marley Jane Ward, author of the series Orphan Corps and candidate for the Down Under Fan Fund. Welcome to the show, Marley Jane. Hello. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work? So I'm from Melbourne. I'm a writer, and um, uh, I mainly write dystopian fiction. Um, I have a dystopian young adult series. Um, that I've just finished the third book for. Um, yeah, and that's that's about it. So can you tell us a little bit about your series? Um, so it's set in a, um, obviously, a dystopian future, uh, and the first one is set in a corporate-run for-profit orphanage, um, and things kind of tend to continue on in that fashion. So um, the main character's name is Mary Mahoney, and uh, we sort of follow her inside her head uh, as she works to kind of battle the system and keep her head above water. Cool. What inspired you to write this story? Quite honest, I wrote, I started writing it as a short story at Clarion West and I just really wanted to impress Kids Johnson. Um, so <laughs> I tried to write the best thing that I possibly could. Um, and that's where it started. Um, I've, I've done a lot of reading um, in regards to things like uh, Romanian orphanages and um, Amazon warehouses, and I'm really interested in the corporatization of um, daily life. So that's sort of where it all sprung from. Cool. That's a great way to uh, to kick off a series. And you must have been quite successful with impressing people because the first book won a few awards, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it, the way it got published was that it won the Vavala Novella Prize and um, then I was lucky enough to win the Victorian Premier's Literary Award for Young Adult Fiction in 2016, um, which was very surprising and wonderful. And last year you also won the Dittmar Award for Best New Talent. Um, and for those listeners who are unfamiliar with it, the Dittmars are basically the Australia's equivalent of the Hugo Award. So do you feel that winning these awards has placed any extra pressure on you as a writer? Um, yes and no. Um, I put enough pressure on myself as a writer anyway. Um, so um, I think the winning the awards kind of just, it does add to it a little bit, but, um, but I try and just do my very best um, and hopefully that's enough. And it seems like it has been because that, that's what I've been doing and people sort of have seemed to have recognised that. Um, last year was a big year for you because you also attended um, Keith Johnson's novel writing workshop. What was that experience like for you? Oh, that was wonderful. It was at the University of Kansas um, in Lawrence, Kansas, and um, I had been to – I'd been very close to – I went to Worldcon in Kansas City um, so I was very close to Lawrence, Kansas. But uh, it was a really interesting experience getting to participate with the um, 
James Gunn, Center for Science Fiction, and see things like like um, the original Tip Tree um, revelation letter and um, various papers of, of very famous Golden Age sci-fi authors. Um, getting to engage with that kind of history of sci-fi um, was really exciting. The novel writing workshop itself was um, extremely it gave me a lot of tools that I feel like I was lacking. So, yeah, it was it was really exciting to get to be a part of that. Did you find it um, a different experience from, say, Clarion? Yeah, totally. It was a completely different experience. Clarion was very um, intense, to put it lightly, whereas this was a lot more laid back, um, just a different experience. Uh, I also spent two weeks there uh, doing, I guess, kind of like a – a write-in, like a writer-in-residency um, where I spent a lot of time in a dorm room um, <laughs> putting a lot of words onto my my work in progress. So, yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting experience um, and very different from Clarion. Now, most of our listeners will be familiar with the Down Under Fan Fund from Paul's trip last year. Um, but for those who missed it, can you tell us a little bit about Doc? Um, so it's an organization that, um, collects funds to send somebody to, um, an international convention to sort of foster, um, friendships, I guess, between people in, um, in different countries between the US and Australia. And yeah, it's a, I mean, it's an organization that I only just kind of recently discovered. And I was lucky enough to sort of come across it at the right time. And now I'm the nominee. <laughs> So yeah, it's um it's it's an amazing organization and um I'm really excited that something like this exists. I'm going to do my very best to sort of publicize it and make sure that people sort of know that this is an option that this is something that if they are a fan that they can do. You know, it's that's so exciting. It is pretty cool. <laughs> what are you most looking forward to about attending Worldcon? Um mainly I'm looking forward to making new friends. Um, and visiting old friends because I, I think I'll know a few people there. I'm really looking forward to like learning about, I guess, new authors and um, getting the chance to sort of see people who I'd really admire speaking, um, getting to know their ideas on various subjects um, and, yeah, just discovering sort of new people, I guess. I really like conventions because I find them to be very creatively stimulating, um, being around that many creative people. So I'm really looking forward to it. And what are you currently working on? Um, so I just finished uh, the third book in my Mary Mahoney series, um, in the Orphan Corp series, and uh, doing copy edits on that. Oh, sorry, doing a structural edit on that at the moment. Um, and then I have like four different books that I want to write, but I think I know which one I'm going to write first. So it's just a matter of um, sort of moving through the process with the series and finishing that off and then being able to get to write something in a different setting, which is really exciting because um, I spent so much time in um, this particular world and I'm looking forward to getting to make a new one. Do you think you would um, commit to doing another long series or do you think you would work on a few shorter things first? Um, I feel like I want to do something standalone um, next. 
I would definitely think about writing a series because it's really rad to sort of create a big world and explore different parts of it um, in different books. But for the moment, I'm really excited to write something standalone. It'd be a great palate cleanser after working on something like a trilogy. Yeah, most definitely. Was there anything else you wanted to discuss particularly? Um, not really. I'm just like super excited about uh, like the possibility um, uh, that sort of opened up recently in finding the Duff Fund. And um, so, why don't you let us know where we can find you and your work? Um, so you can buy Welcome to Orphan Corp and the sequel Synode um, sort of everywhere. If you're lucky enough to have it in your local bookstore, that'd be really cool. But um, you can get it on Booktopia and that kind of thing. Um, but I have a website, smileyjaneward.com, and uh, I have all of my short stories um, and my nonfiction linked from there. So you can kind of see the sort of stuff that I write and from that probably estimate the kind of stuff that I like. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Smiley Jane, and for telling us about your work. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And thank you, listeners, for joining us on Signal Booth. Go check out Miley Jane and vote to send her to Worldcon. Thank you for listening to the show. If you'd like to support us, you can find us at patreon.com slash skiffyandfanty. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so at our email at skiffyandfanty at gmail.com, on Twitter at skiffyandfanty, and on Facebook at the Skiffy and Fanty Show. Our intro and outro music comes from Dimension by Creo. You can find out more about them at freemusicarchive.org.